We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Gabal Brock, Tommy Castor. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 12.40 KFH. Everybody to another edition of Sports Daily, right here on KFH. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor, alongside you on this Wednesday, the Wednesday following a Sunflower Showdown. KU gets revenge on K State. We'll talk a ton about that game. We've got the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, joining us a little later in this hour. But Tommy, boy, there aren't a lot of stories that would push that a segment. But this morning we get one that does, and that is that. Tom Brady is done, and this one seems like it's for real, not nearly as dramatic and emotional and long and, you know, whatever. He puts out a video this morning, pretty straight to the point, says he's done and he's done for good. I think I believe him, and I sit here this morning, Tommy, and think about how selfish he is for not giving us another opportunity to see him go try to win another Super Bowl. Can you believe he would pull something like that? And not give Uh, us what we need. Clearly, what's been going on in his uh, personal life over the last, I don't know, year or so is weighing on him. Uh, He looks tired. He, you know, in that video, he he looked like um, he's just a guy that's ready to hang it up. And uh, it's not a, a physical decline. It's not anything like that. I think it's all mental and emotional for him. Um, I think he's ready to just hang it up and walk away. I didn't see this coming. I'm not sure uh, many people did. I mean, we talked as recently as yesterday uh, about Tom Brady potentially going to the 49ers and what that might look like. And I think I even said yesterday, man, I'd like to see him play for another five years just to see if he can do it. Uh, And then less than 24 hours later, he puts out a video saying that uh, he's done for good. So um, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm shocked. But I'm with you. I think it's a legitimate for real for good kind of thing. I guess, yeah, I just, and I'm, of course, joking when I say how selfish. Uh, It just, like, I really did want to see him give it another run because I think physically he's still got something left in the tank, which that's the part of this. Like, when push comes to shove with everything about Brady, it's the, the, I mean, we don't need to overthink it. Like, one of the craziest parts about it is he's just, he's physically able to do it and so many guys aren't. I didn't think he was physically washed or anything like that, but there's a whole lot more that goes into it than that. It's just what's wild about it is after everything in the last off season, you let the end be so vanilla, right? Just bleh. An eight and nine year. Yeah, they made the playoffs, but clearly things weren't on the same page. Like that just seems like that there was no way that was going to happen, but it does. And that's okay. And we'll see what kind of, you know, color guy he is. I suspect he'll be good. 
um, just because he's got so much experience, you know, talking with his podcast and all that kind of stuff. I think he'll be good at that. But, boy, it really – we got it like – and we did this last year, so it it's a little bit different than like, oh, thank you, goat. Like we're gonna see all that today, and it's like, okay, whatever. Like we, we we've all done all that. I have no need for all that. But it really is pretty remarkable. And some of the stats that come out today just make me shake my head. You can make a legitimate case uh, that you know he's a Hall of Fame quarterback if you just took his twenties, just took his thirties, and just took his forties. Um, you know, all the Super Bowls, if you split his career in half, there's no doubt about it. It's just like all these little things and the longevity of it. I What did he win? Like a Super Bowl once every three years over a 21-year career? He yeah. made a Super Bowl even more often than that. Think about that. What was it, 7-2 and two in the Super Bowl? Yep. I mean, just yeah. that is seems impossible to do. Yeah, and how remarkable is it that, you know, he spent all that time with the Patriots, had the dynasty there, won all the rings, and then left and went to a new team and won another Super Bowl with another team. Like That's really difficult to do. Um, I know Peyton Manning did it with the Broncos, but it doesn't happen very often where you've got somebody that spends the majority of their career with one team and then goes to another one and wins another ring. Uh, Joe Montana couldn't do that. He went to Kansas city and didn't get a ring in Kansas city like he did in San Francisco. So um, it's just remarkable. And, and, you know, going back to how we talked to yesterday about the, the potential of him going to San Francisco, his hometown team uh, for one final run um, where they're loaded and they're a quarterback away from potentially winning it all. I think the reason why I believe him that this is for good is that I think San Francisco would snatch him up in a heartbeat. And that is a great landing spot for him to run it back one more time. And on the same, like in 24 hours from when all those conversations started about Brock Purdy being out for six months and could they go get Tom Brady and that would fit really well and that would work. And then he retires I mean, I think that that's for real because I think that there could be, there could have been a legitimate uh, union between the 49ers and Tom Brady there, but he's choosing to walk away from not only that, but any other team that might want his services. So I definitely do think it's for real. I do too. Um, and, and that's not, you know, like, I just don't think there's any way he would allow what happened last offseason to go through this offseason. The other thing that seems so hard about it is everything that happened in his personal life and everything off the field and, and seemingly everything that was, you know, and I don't want to say sacrifice because that's silly, dumb, and we don't have any idea about any of those things, but like with everything that happened and went sideways to not come back then and just play loose and free this year, which felt like it was possible, right? But there is a lot of pressure to go back to your hometown team. There is a lot of pressure to go to San Francisco, a team that, I mean, not just they feel, most of us feel. If they could just get their quarterback situation figured out with injuries and everything else, they'd have a Super Bowl by now. There'd be a lot of pressure in that for Brady, too. And look, the broadcasting thing is the rest of his life. He's the ultimate competitor. It could be as simple as he needs to get that going, too, because – you know, Greg Olson did a really good job. He's got plenty of money on the table for that. Um, you know, lots and lots of guys have made second careers out of that side of things. Tom Brady could go be a broadcaster probably for 20 years. Think about Troy Aikman. Think about, I, I'd say Chris Collinsworth, but he's remembered far more as a, as a broadcaster than he is a player. But think about a guy like Troy Aikman. 
or who has i mean really like i i think we're getting to the point now where there's a lot of people that think of aikman as a broadcaster first and a quarterback second um obviously not if you you know watched him play in his prime but i mean that stuff happens all the time so I don't want to minimize the importance of that either. He does need to get in the booth if that's what Fox wants to do because they want him now. They may not want him as much in two years. Yeah, and, and I kind of feel bad for Greg Olson this morning because he did a really, really good job in yeah, that lead good. analyst spot. Um, and, and he kind of, I think, solidified himself as one of the top-tier broadcasters. And um, he did it in a situation where he knew, uh, and it had been made public, that Fox was waiting for Tom Brady to retire to take that number one spot. And so, you know, I think he had really good chemistry with Kevin Burkhart. I wonder what they do with Greg Olson now. I mean, it's clearly Tom Brady's job, but I know that they're high on Greg Olson. So do they demote him down to number two? Uh, what Probably. does that look like? And, and I kind of I feel bad for Olson because, you know, he for at least this season, you know, was was on the biggest games, the biggest broadcasts and did a really, really good job doing it. Well, look, he's going to get a Super Bowl and he's going to get lots of big games. He's going to get playoff games. I wouldn't feel too bad for Greg Olson because he knew exactly what this what was going to happen and look if you're Fox you go with Tom Brady right like as good as Greg Olson is and I know he's the and the thing about Greg Olson is he's really good and and, you know like social media loves him right now social media turns on people tomorrow like they you know Chris Collinsworth was everybody's favorite with the slide and everybody loved him right and then now everybody's so sick of him like it's, it's social media fodder the reality is eyes on TVs you put Tom Brady in that spot Peyton Manning could come tomorrow and replace anybody if he ever wanted to do that. That's just the way that works. I think Greg Olson's a smart enough guy to understand that. He's going to get a Super Bowl, and and what happens for Greg Olson now is, yeah, he may slide into the number two spot, but he also solidifies himself if somebody else comes into the picture, if another network loses its top guy for whatever reason, he then becomes a top choice to do that, right? Like, I think Kirk Herbstreit did a really good job. I mean, Greg Olson easily could be that now, right, it, it, had they not gone that way. So, and that opportunity will present itself. And the number two spot on one of the networks isn't bad because you're getting playoff games. Really, the only difference is you don't get two games at the end of the year, right? That That's about the only difference there. Um, but Brady will get in the booth. I think he'll do a good job. I, I don't know. You know, now it sort of refocuses everything in the offseason, too. Like, there's a domino effect here because if San Francisco's not getting Brady, do they now – Go after Aaron Rodgers. I think they have to at least consider it, or do they really roll forward with Trey Lance sort of as the starter next year? Man, I don't know if they can do that. And if Jimmy G's leaving, like I, they don't have a ton of options here. I, I think they might all of a sudden get super aggressive with Aaron Rodgers. And you know who wins the most today with Tom Brady's retirement? Aaron Rodgers. Green Bay Packers. No, the Packers. Because really? the Packers are going to get to trade him. Yeah. So if you had, you know, one more desperate team that enters the mix and the the asking price goes up for Aaron well, Rodgers. It, I mean, I think it very easily benefits Aaron Rodgers too. I mean, I think the money well, on the sure. table, you know, is going to is going to be better now that he's not competing with Tom Brady for his services. I mean, the, the, there are now uh extra teams that are going to want Aaron Rodgers and and you know, we had talked about, okay, would it be the Jets, would it be the Raiders, who's it going to be? I think you can throw in the 49ers. Can you throw in the Buccaneers at this point? What are they going to do at quarterback? Uh, there are some other teams out there that are going to be in need of a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, the Bucks are interesting too because if they get healthy on the line, that's a really good roster still. Yeah, um, yeah. This this will be fun. 
uh, I, I got to digest this a little bit. It happened just, you know, about an hour before we came on the air. But we got Sunflower Showdown round two also. That's where we'll go next. We'll get more on Tom Brady in the second hour. We got the voice of the Kansas Jayhawks, Brian Haney, coming up in this hour. Uh, we'll try to do a giveaway today. Your calls, 869-1240. KUK State fans now is the time for that. So if you've got thoughts on last night's game, give us a buzz. We'll get to that in our next segment of Sports Daily. Welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily on KFH. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster. 869-1240 Sunflower Showdown. I knew it. I knew it. Eight and a half. Everybody loved K-State there. Stay away. Something's, something's up here. KU in control. They cover the number. Uh, they go over. Offensive showdown. We'll talk to... The voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, in just a minute. Uh, I, I definitely think, Tommy, this is more about the Jayhawks than it is about K-State. Okay, you needed this. They had to have it if they want a chance to win the conference outright. It's a big game. They defend their home court. And lo and behold, the guy who continues to stir the drink for this team. We, we talk about the bigs on this team all the time, yet it's the smallest guy on the floor that seems to dictate how good or bad KU can be. Dewan Harris is really good. KU is really good and gets a convincing win over a top 10 team. You didn't know that. I'm going back to what you said yesterday. You thought, what? I heard you say KU would win, but K-State would cover. That was your pick at the end of our segment yesterday. I, my pick we were, was wrong. I said I'm not betting it because the line stinks. I said well, I'm said not betting it. We it. had to make said, a pick. I'm just, Hey, I'm just, no, no, I've no, no, got no, the no. receipts here. I got the receipts. No, there's no receipts necessary. I said I knew it because we said from the beginning, this line stinks. There's something off. Sure. We were texting before the show, eight and a half. There's no way. Yeah. But everybody in the world thinks that, so there's no way I'm betting it. <laughs> because we all, like, this happens So you didn't often, touch right? it last night then? Oh, no. I touched player props. I, I took player props, and I was right about all of them except for KJ Adams. But, like... I, I there was no chance I was betting this game because when everybody in the entire world agrees on a line, you cannot bet that line. We it's funny and it and that doesn't always happen, right? Like maybe a lot of people like something, but seriously, you were the first person to text me yesterday. Then I had two other groups of people text me yesterday. Then people at work were like eight and a half. Man, I'm I'm all over K State, and I'm like, well, it's not like I, it's trouble. Like this, this one stinks. There's no way I'm touching that bet because we all think the same thing, and and it makes sense to why why Vegas would give KU that line because they're at home and history in this matchup tells us that K State's really struggled there, right? It's probably as simple as that. But you know, sometimes you're just like K State's too good to lose a game by eight and a half, and the reality is K State didn't play bad last night. That game was never out of reach for them. They missed some bunnies. Late that they easily could have been in contention down the stretch there, but history shows Vegas trends show Vegas that you know in this matchup KU at home has been X Y Z and that and I mean it played that itself out. 
Yeah, it turned into a free throw shooting contest at the end, which, you know, that's one thing with with the Big 12 and Big 12 refs where they're calling a lot of fouls left and right and both teams are going to the line. Uh, but really, outside of that, I thought the pace of play was really good. And the game plan was was pretty clear for Kansas. They forced a bunch of turnovers, especially in the first half. They forced 10 turnovers on Kansas State. They got out in transition and they made their shots in transition. That was the, the key for the Jayhawks. They were in control for the majority of that game, and it seemed like every time the Wildcats maybe got on a little bit of a run, Keontae Johnson, after struggling early, was able to come in and get some big buckets, and Marquise Noel had a couple of good shots too. Every time it looked like the Wildcats were were about to make that run, uh, for whatever reason, the Jayhawks were able to kind of stifle that a little bit, and, and they played good defense for the most part, like I said, forcing those turnovers and getting out in transition. So it was um, it was more difficult, I thought, for Jerome Tang uh, to find in-game adjustments that would work simply because the Jayhawks, for the majority of time, were hitting the shots that they maybe didn't hit in Manhattan, and they especially hadn't been hitting during their losing streak. Uh, 71 free throws, 46 fouls called. We got another ref show. Um, I, you know, I think after the last time this game played out that way, maybe before the game, the officials could have huddled together and be like, Hey guys, this game's going to be pretty physical. Let's not call yep. every foul that we can. Yep. We and it really tightened that. up. It, it tightened up later, like especially early in the game. The pace was awesome, like going back and forth. Um, I loved watching it. Like at one point, the Jayhawks were on pace to score 100. Uh, it was fun to watch, and then the fouls started coming in, and you started getting you know, a, a pretty tight whistle. Um, I, I would say on both sides. Like I didn't really feel like it was really egregious you know, for either team. I just thought it was a lot of foul calls uh, for the most part, and both teams got to the line a lot. Yeah, it's and it's not like they were – Bad foul calls, I don't think. At some point, though, like when you watch that last game, like you got to get together and understand this is going to be a physical game because 46 foul, like you can't have 71 free throws in a game. Like it's just not, you're not going to work. But with that being said, knowing that that was the way it was going to go, I thought two players really stood out and took advantage of that and and clearly understood that that was the way it was going to go. Kevin McCuller was one of them. Uh, Noel was the other, but McCuller on a really bad night from the field has a really good game overall because he took advantage of that and got to the foul line. And he's he's coming along here for KU as a pretty meaningful piece. And it's been interesting. You know, we sort of think of KJ Adams as the guy who has to play big, right? KJ Adams got in foul trouble a little bit. Was not a good KJ Adams game. It was it was okay. I mean, it was it was fine. But Kevin McCuller now several times has really stepped it up. He's always there defensively, but as a rebounder. And now I'm starting to wonder if, like for KU, is it going to be the necessity to have KJ Adams play big, or do they just need the collection of he, Wilson, and McCuller to be big, you know, as a as a unit, right? And and be effective rebounding and, and doing those things. What was what what was the total rebounds last night? Let me just look at that. So it was 42. Yeah, they out-rebounded K-State. Not that K-State has tremendous size. They have a little more size. Well, that's probably not fair either. Two teams that don't play with a true big. Uh, but, but KU was able to win that aspect of the game, and McCuller being a part of that has been interesting the last little while, and, and I wonder if that sort of becomes his role. That dude's going to shoot. Two of ten, but he's going to keep shooting. He gets to the line, it'll be okay. 
right? If he if he shoots, um, but I thought he was good. But it's Dewan Harris, Tommy. Like Dewan Harris, when he's when he's good, KU is really good in the best versions of themselves. And it's a really interesting dynamic because if you ask anybody in the world about KU and what they need, they'd say, oh, I'm worried about them in the post. But it's been Dewan Harris. When he was not good, they were very, you know, they struggled through a lot of games. The last, two, you know, this game especially, but the game before this weekend against Kentucky, you sort of saw glimpses of it coming back. And then I thought he looked great last night. And oh, all of a sudden, KU scores 90. Right and looks great against a top ten team. Yeah, he's not turning the ball over like he did when you know I still think he was not healthy. You know during that losing streak and uh, he looked all the way fully healthy last night against the Wildcats. Seven to twelve from the floor, eighteen points. I think that ties a career high for Dewan Harris. Uh, and, and so yeah, I mean I I don't disagree with you when you say that he's the straw that stirs the drink for this Jayhawks team. Kevin McCuller, by the way, you said two of ten, and that's true. But he finished with, what, 16 points? So he got to the line a ton, uh, was able to, to make his, his free throws, was two of three from beyond the arc. So he didn't do well inside the arc at all, but he made three-pointers and he made free throws, and that's what worked for him. But go, you know, your question about how, do, how does Kansas continue to play in the post when they don't have a true big? And if you had asked me that before the Kentucky game, uh, I would say it's definitely a concern for me because we've seen them struggle against true bigs. Look at the Tennessee game. They really struggled against that against the length that Tennessee had. But after the Kentucky game, and, and they were able to limit Oscar Shibway uh, by helping down low and forcing Shibway further out from the post, I feel more confident that if you can collectively, between K.J. Adams, Kevin McCuller helping, even Ernest Uday provided some good minutes off the bench, I feel confident that they've got a solution to be able to battle, it might not be ideal, but to be able to battle against a lot of length in the Big 12. Uh, you beat Sheepway. You handled Sheepway. Yeah. You're not going to play a better big than that. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I And I have never really been overly concerned about that because I, I think that we see teams win national titles all the time without traditional size. But we'll come back. We'll get Brian Haney's thoughts on it. He was there at Allen Fieldhouse last night. You heard him right here on KFH. The voice of the Jayhawks joins us next on Sports Daily. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Sports Daily is on KFH. It's that time. Sports Daily getting all the inside information on the Kansas Jayhawks. Let's go now to the voice of KU, Brian Haney. And welcome back in, everybody. We welcome in Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, for our weekly visit coming right off of a Sunflower Showdown Revenge game, a revenge win for the Jayhawks, 90-78, to evens things out in the Big 12 standings and the season standings. Uh, now we'll have to see if a Big 12 tournament game 
or maybe even an NCAA tournament day game might decide the season series. Brian, welcome in to Sports Daily again this week. Great to be on with you guys. Obviously a ton of fun in the fog last night from the convincing nearly wire-to-wire win to Travis Kelsey being in the stands. A lot of good memories made last night, and uh, certainly, as you said, we hope there's a third meeting. Not because we need to have a rubber match or anything, but that's high-level basketball right there. And To have both teams in the state be this good, I think is good for everybody and a ton of fun to watch. So here's hoping we see it again, part three in Kansas City in over a month. Brian, I thought that the uh, pace of play to start the game was phenomenal. Just back and forth, uh, really high energy, high action. And uh, we were talking right before you came on with us. Dewan Harris looks perfectly healthy now. He shot the ball great. Uh, didn't turn the ball over like he did during that three-game losing skid. What was your biggest takeaway from what you saw? Number one, from just the overall energy, and then specifically with Dewan Harris. You know, Starting with Dewan, but including Kevin and KJ, if you look at the way those three players played in the three-game losing skid, and part of KJ's struggles was foul trouble, and then he had one game in Waco where he just never really got in a rhythm. But with Kevin and Juan, their confidence was both clearly shaken, and they were a fraction of their normal selves in terms of aggressiveness, just poise, comfort level, everything. You look at them last night, And Kansas looks like a completely different team. You suddenly have five capable scorers on the floor. You suddenly have five alphas that aren't worried to take a shot if it's there. I mean, you go back to that TCU game, inexplicably, if if you watched it closely, Kevin McCullough in his eyes, anything outside of 15 feet, he was just immediately catching it and passing it away, wasn't even thinking to go get his. And it's been a completely different Kevin McCullough Uh, Going back the last couple of games, I thought he was more aggressive starting in Waco, but then obviously back-to-back double-doubles at Kentucky and and last night. With DeWan, it started on Saturday in Lexington with him being more aggressive. And I noticed it in shoot-around that day, and I texted a couple of friends, Juan looks like Juan again. And, you know, Bill Self alluded to it a little bit. He tries not to make too much about it because he thinks sometimes we in the media, according to what he said on Hawk Talk, we obsess too much over a hangnail or a headache. But it did look like DeWan was a different player after the face plant he did late in the game in Manhattan two weeks ago. And I'm not here to say he was concussed or anything like that, but clearly you know, he was not the same guy for the next week and a half or so. And then on Saturday, you could tell even early in the day, he was smiling, he was assertive, he was having fun during the pregame shoot-around, and he didn't look like the guy that was overthinking it that was just a little bit off the mark, which appeared to be the case for two-plus games with Juan. So I say all of that about those three guys to say, hey, we're, we're a pretty good team when Jalen's doing his thing. And Jalen just completed the highest-scoring five-game stretch by any Jayhawk basketball player since the inception of the Big 12 Conference with 133 points. But, guys, we lost three of those five games, and we're a much, much better team. If Jalen's still getting 20-plus a night, but you've got four other capable scorers on the floor, particularly if we know what we can get from Grady most nights. It's the ebb and flow confidence-wise of those other three that if it could kind of stabilize and steady out and you count on them you know, bringing their, their confident, aggressive game most nights, hey, this Kansas team is right back to being national title consideration and, and certainly you know the team to beat in the Big 12 Conference. So that's been a 
great sight for sore eyes these last two games, and hopefully it's something they can bottle up. Obviously, the competition continues uh, on the same trajectory that it's been on of, of top 15 and top 10 teams here the next couple of games. But, uh, yeah, if, if you get that out of one, KJ and Kevin, this team clearly, in my mind, is the team to beat in the Big 12. Well, since Bill Self already called us out on it, Brian, let's overanalyze Dewan Harris for a minute here because it really, like, it's an interesting dynamic to me that we early in the year, and and it's a sentiment I think uh, around a lot of KU fans, we shared it maybe earlier in the year, maybe less so late, but it always seemed about the bigs, right? Like, what are the bigs going to do? What are the bigs going to do? But, man, it feels like Dewan Harris is the straw that stirs this drink, not any play or anything that happens down low. But it's it's been him to me and what he looks like that becomes that last little piece of the puzzle that makes them so lethal when they're at their best. Yeah, that's that's really well phrased and posed. And, and I, uh, I think if you ask Bill Self in an honest moment, when he didn't have to give not, not that he tries to give political answers all the time where he, he pumps up everybody. He's honestly the most straight shooting coach I've ever covered in any sport. Agreed. But if, Agreed if it was off the air and you just said, Hey, who's most important? He probably would say one because there's just so many ways in which he impacts the game. You know, last night he draws two more charges, team leading total of nine tied with Grady Dick, by the way. Uh, which is great to see for the Wichita native. Uh, you know, there's there's little things he does on tips and deflections. There's, you know, obviously the passes that he makes with the floor vision and delivery of the ball that nobody else on this team has. But look at the shooting line of Marquise Noel last night. Um, he ends up with a, a total above his typical average in scoring and got a lot of that from the free throw line. But he shot well below 33% and was hounded and frustrated all night. And that was Dewan Harris. You know, he had five first-half turnovers, did no well. That's Dewan Harris. And so that stuff doesn't necessarily reflect directly on his personal stats, but you see his impact on the game. And so, you know, even though Noel's the one that's getting midseason third-team All-American consideration, you know, Dewan Harris, when it comes to making winning plays, is so important for Kansas. And, you know, maybe the best emphasis of that argument can be looked at when Dewan was not his typical self how beatable and vulnerable we looked. And so, you know, they, they always say that the, the most outstanding player or most valuable player, depending on your semantics, is, is maybe the guy that you could least afford to lose. Because if you took away the most valuable player, the team would be a fraction of itself. And, and it's funny to think, you know, obviously, Jalen Wilson is, is our alpha and he's, he's everything in terms of on-court leadership. But when you took DeWan's, normal steady hand at the wheel away for those two and a half games going back to the late game K-State moments we lost all three and and I'm not saying we could have won any of those if you took Jalen Wilson away I'm just simply saying that I think punctuates the value of DeWan playing at his optimal level and and speaks to just how important he is how critical he is to Kansas's optimal potential because when you got a fraction of DeWan, we didn't win a single game. And part of that was our schedule, yes. But, uh, yeah, it, it, he is that important. And so I think your question's a very good one. And if I do get a private moment with Coach, maybe I will ask him that and report back to you. Brian, you mentioned the five first-half turnovers from Marquise Noel, 10 total first-half turnovers for the Wildcats. I thought the game plan for KU in the first half was pretty clear. Force the turnover get out and transition, and then make the shots and transition. Uh, Kansas State did tighten it up a little bit in the second half, but uh, I, I really felt like 
that transition play that Kansas has, it's been their bread and butter for most of the season, really came to the surface last night. Yeah, it did. And, you know, 49 first-half points, the proof was in the pudding. There were a couple of stretches where the pace was so frenetic and in a game that had a ton of whistles that slowed down the, the play a lot in the second half and, and quite a few in the first half, too. There was one particular stretch, I think at the under-four media timeout in the first half, where we didn't get a whistle at all for like two and a half minutes, and they were just going back and forth and back and forth. Guys were just sucking for wind. They couldn't get their air. They had their hands on their legs, but but we kept wanting to push the tempo, and we took a game that was in, in the two-three possession range and blew it up to you know, 14, 15 points just like that. And so that's where Kansas, you know, if they can assert their will – and smell blood in the water, and they can attack you and, and blow games wide open. And we weren't seeing that, obviously, in the losing skid because we were trying to come from behind in the losing skid and, and exerting all that effort to climb out of double-digit holes to get the play from out in front and then, boom, hit you with that, that counter punch, right, left, right, left, knockout blow, boom. That, that's when those 9-0, 11-2, 15-3 runs come. And that's the patented Kansas that we've all know to come and love, you know, not just in the 20 years of Bill Self, but Roy Williams in that building too, you know, those backbreaking type runs. And it was great to see that last night. And Pace, I think, determined some of that in, in both halves, quite frankly. And that's not to say that K-State couldn't keep with the pace. I was quite frankly impressed with some of the big shots they hit just to, to keep within striking distance on several instances. But eventually the dam breaks and eventually that tide rushes over and it engulfs you. And that's what we saw last night from Kansas. I want to talk about Kevin McCuller, Brian. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joining us. It, something else we keep looking at, or, or at least I, I think we do, is K.J. Adams needing to be the big on this team. But the way McCuller's going lately, and he didn't shoot it very well last night, but he's a smart offensive player enough to get to the free throw line. But it's the rebounding that he's shown in the past few games, have we have we been looking at it maybe a little bit out of whack? And is Wilson McCuller Adams as a collective unit down low when it needs to be maybe the way to go and not trying to think of one guy to play that true big spot? I think it's a great observation, and I kind of have two answers here, so I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth. I, I did say last night on the air, and Greg and I both feel this way, that when Uday was in there before foul trouble, we looked like Kansas again. We had the tallest guy on the floor with the longest wingspan, and we looked like the team that can you know reach over everybody to pluck that ball off the iron and contest shots if you get to the back line of our defense, and that felt kind of good. But clearly, uh, when you don't have him on the floor, which is going to be the majority of the time, because even if he takes on a much larger role with Zuby out for an extended stretch now, you're still talking about you know 12 to 15 minutes a game. So in those other 25 minutes, it does have to come from your wings because KJ is is an undersized five. And you know KJ said on on the Hawk Talk we had on Monday that Coach Self would be the first to tell you that he's not a great rebounder. I think that while it doesn't show up in the numbers. There are things he can do, though, in clearing out his man that allows those other wings to slip in and get a rebound. I know he only had a couple of boards in Lexington, but you can't tell me he didn't play a role in keeping Sheboy away from certain balls that Kevin or Jalen did get. So to your point about the conglomerate of the three, yeah, it's, it's, it's a deal where only one guy can get the rebound. You don't have partial rebounds like you have 
you know, partial uh, uh, sacks and that kind of thing in the NFL. But it, it is a collaborative effort, and I think that those guys all working together uh, absolutely can be formidable. And yet at the same time, this is where I go back to the other side of my mouth, if, if they can get more confidence and consistency out of Ernest Uday, it is nice to bring in 6'11 with a 7'4 wingspan and have you know some stretches of the game where you can rely on that interior presence that has classic big man size. So it's a combination of the both, but I think we're seeing both emerge. And when McCullough turns in his seventh double-double of the season, second in the last couple of games, and, and you're seeing you know, those great defensive closeouts where you force a contested shot from the wing, and then you've got Grady at 6'8", Jalen at, at six seven six eight, McCuller who's listed at six five, you know, all skying for the board, but in position because they did their work as soon as the ball went up and got a hand on somebody's waist and, and pushed them out of the lane. And that does kind of make you think that dog will hunt a little bit. Maybe we can win that way. You just like to have a little steady influx of, of some legit size as well, and that's where I think Ernest and honestly Zach Clements comes in, and I. You know, I, I've been as, as you know, perplexed as any on Zach this season because he started the year uh, pretty inconsistent, you know, missed his first nine or ten threes of the season. Uh, but this is a guy that's, you know, clearly in league play versus Oklahoma and last night has shown us glimpses of what they thought they were getting when they first signed him a couple of years ago as a top 50 guy. So we're, we're hopeful that he's starting to turn the corner as well. Brian, how about the overall quality minutes from the bench last night um, that that had been a sticking point for a while especially during that that losing streak but quality minutes from Zach Clements as you mentioned uh, with five points and three boards Ernest Uday three points and six boards in 10 minutes Bobby Pettiford and then even you know Joe Yasufu who is struggling some uh, I feel like all four of them gave some quality bench minutes for Bill Self and that's clearly got to take a little bit of pressure off the starters yeah, no doubt. And it's not often this season when I've read the box score, I can say that in, in bench scoring, Kansas more than doubled up the other team, 19-9, I think. And that was a rarity. Had to look at it twice because it's been the much-discussed and maligned Kansas bench this year, and not just by fans, but by Coach Self as well. And we talked on last week's episode about you know Coach Self speaking some, some life into Joe Yesifu at Hawk Talk and saying, hey, you know, I, I think that this can be a guy that hits two or three threes off the bench for us as our heat him up, Vinny Johnson type, you know, super sub. And uh, and then when, when Joe left the stage at Hawk Talk and the headsets were set down and the cameras weren't rolling, Self put his hands on both shoulders and, and said, Joe, I meant what I said. That can be you and it needs to be you. And then he just kind of paused and, and let the comment sink in and I thought man what great coaching and and so I saw a much more confident Joe last night I know he didn't hit as many shots as he took and there were there were plenty of chances that didn't go down but I saw a guy that was hunting his and you know you see a guy do big things at Drake like he did averaging 24 a game over the final nine games of his sophomore season he was a media darling of, of March Madness that year and, and I think he's come to Kansas and you know it's tough for coaching for sure it's way tougher competition. You know, suddenly, even though you're the best athlete on the team, that doesn't give you the, the margin or the gap that it used to at Drake. And, and it's taken a while for him. And I think confidence-wise, as kind of a uh, – he's a sweet kid, all right? He's not necessarily the alpha that's like, give me the ball, I need my 15 shots a game. He can tend to defer and fade if, if he's not hunting his – 
it's taken a while, but it's in there. And, and if they could unlock that more consistently, the aggressive, assertive version of Joe, I think he could be a guy that comes in and does hit a couple of big triples per game for you. Uh, and, and what a boost that would be off the Kansas bench when, honestly, we haven't had really any firepower off the bench because the M.J. Rice freshman season has been such a uh, an ebb and flow, high and low, you know, injury plague deal. So maybe that's Joe's role. But, uh, but that was big, and you know, we had talked about Zach already and Ernest already. So hopefully – and the Kansas bench continues to make strides. I hated it that, that MJ didn't find a way to get in. I don't know if that had anything to do with his back or not, but uh, you know, there's still time on this season for him to do something. But as we turn the page to calendar, the calendar page to uh, February now, and, and MJ is still no more than a two or three minute a game type guy. You know, my hopes of, of him impacting this season in a large way kind of shrink week to week now and, and you hope that that means that, that other guys do step up and, and seize that opportunity if it's not going to be him all right brian final one as we turn the page uh before we talk again to iowa state an angry iowa state who blew a big lead to texas tech in their most recent game and you got to go to Ames. things could turn around real quickly and not feel so good ku's got a big test on saturday they do, no doubt. And that was a one-possession game down here. And obviously the uh, kid from Mays had a chance to win it at the end, and, and Caleb Grill's shot missed. And I know they held him out in the uh, Missouri game. And so, you know, hopefully we'll see Iowa State at full strength. And, uh, you know, he was obviously back for the Texas Tech game and had a great game of 67% shooting and 24 points. So it looks like we will see them, you know, at, at their best. But they'll have revenge on their minds. I think you look at this league race, I can't ever remember heading into February with a clear first-place team, but then four teams, one game back, all in the top 20 in the polls. It's amazing. And, and it's going to be one of those back-and-forth we go, jockeying for position final months where – each game, each week, there's a shuffling of the deck, but but what a race this is shaping up to be. And don't count Baylor out either just because they're two games back, but uh, what a conference, what a year. And for Kansas, I've been saying for a while, we just got to get through you know the first two games of February, and then we can breathe easy. Well, that third game is against Oklahoma, who just took Alabama, number two in the country, behind the woodshed in Norman on Saturday. So, I'm not sure it ever lets up, to be honest. But these next two in particular, in terms of standings, will be big. So let's hope the Hawks take care of business on Saturday. All right, Brian. We'll rest up before then, and we'll talk to you next week. That's right. Getting plenty of good rest on my Mattress Hub mattress. It's a purple mattress, believe it or not. They have this special technology that allows for the coolest night's sleep and the best back support as well. So this has been the right fit for me, but maybe it's a Tempur-Pedic, maybe it's a Serta, maybe it's something else that is the perfect night's sleep for you. They want to find that perfect brand for you. So check them out today. Wichita-owned and operated company. They're all over the Midwest, but it began right there in Wichita. So check out Ryan Beatty and his team. Appreciate you guys. We look forward to talking to you next week. And uh, hopefully by the time we talk next week, our Jayhawks are back in first place. They're climbing that way. Still work to be done. But uh, let's hope we're back on our rightful perch in a week. All right. There goes Brian Haney, voice of the Kansas Jayhawks, joining us each and every week here on Sports Daily. Always appreciate that. We got more coming up in our second hour. We'll have a giveaway. We'll talk more about the big Tom Brady news today and other items across the sports world. We'll do it all on Sports Daily. Hour number two coming up. 
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.